Welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to be active participants in your daughters' lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Really excited to be back with you again this week. Every week, I love sitting down with you and being able to talk to you about this journey that we're all on called fatherhood. And it is a unique journey in many ways, but it doesn't have to be. There are so many ways in which we can learn and grow from the from the people that are around us, from other fathers. And this show is all about connecting you with other people's experiences to be able to help you to be the father that you want to be and to help you to raise those strong, independent women that you have in your homes. Every week, I love bringing you different guests, different dads, different other individuals with resources that can help you to do just that. And this week, we got another great guest with us. J.P. DeGantz is with us today. And J.P. is the president of Communio. He is also the founder and president. I should say, let me step back. J.P. DeGantz is with us today. And J.P. is the president and founder of Communio. And we're going to talk more about the organization and some of the things that they've been finding in a recent study that just came out about loneliness. And we're also going to be talking about the fact that he's a father of eight. And I was talking to him before we started today and said, that just kind of blows my mind because I, I think two is enough for me, but eight is a whole new game. So I'm excited to have him on. JP, thanks so much for being here. Hey, Christopher, thank you for having me. It's great to be here with you. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure having you here today. Love that that uh, we're able to talk fatherhood and also talk, talk more about Communio. I guess, first and foremost, I want to turn the clock back in time. I love being able to have this power when when I talk to people and being able to turn the clock back. And I know you've got eight kids. I'd like to go back to that first moment, that first moment that you found out that you were going to be a father to a daughter. What was going through your head? You know, for us, it was number three. And I'll tell you, it was funny. I told my wife brings this up to me all the time. She says, I, I say, oh, well, I'm going to treat you know my kids the same. I'm going to, you know, my son's daughter's going to be the same. And then um, <laughs> I had my daughter and I realized we have a different connection, a different relationship. And I love my girls. I've, I've, we're, we're all tied up. Chris, for four boys, four girls, about as evenly distributed as you can. But being able to bond with my daughter as, and having daughters, I'm confident it makes me a better, a better man. It causes me... Um, to want to be more in comparison to my sons who I'll rough up. I relate a bit differently to my daughters and, and it's been a beautiful, a great thing. And my wife has called me out on it quite a number of times that you don't really treat them the same. And we, uh, I, I later on got a quote from my father that I love. He's like, you treat all of your children equally. You don't treat them the same. And I think that's, there's a lot of, a lot of wisdom in that. I love that. Now, a lot of dads that I talk to, I talk to a lot of dads over the years and a lot of dads say to me that having that daughter in their life is not only an amazing thing, but it's also brings some fear with it as well. And I guess for you, as you look at the fact that you have eight kids and four girls, four boys, what has been your biggest fear? In raising daughters, because of my work, and, and you mentioned some research that we've been doing. I, I run an org, a, a ministry that really seeks to equip churches to 
champion and encourage healthy relationships, marriage and fatherhood and healthy fatherhood. And as I've gotten into the data, you can't help but understand that there is a retreat from marriage that's occurring that's going to affect our sons and daughters. And that means something, especially for our daughters and how how they grow and 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 how they discern healthy relationships. I think the culture has uh, cheapened relationships and meaningful relationships. And, and so coming alongside my daughters to help help form them is so that they can know what a healthy guy looks like and, and how to avoid a problematic relationship, toxic relationships, and then form friend groups, right? That, that reinforce that, right? Uh, my mom used to say, you, you know, you are, I'm sure I'm not the only one whose mom said this, right? You are who your friends are, who you associate with, you often reflect in terms of your personality and who you are. So, so those are just some of those things that, you know, recognizing, you know, the reality is, is even at college, you know, you think about college today, college is now 60% women, 40% men. And in the last uh, most recent, most recent class, and what that actually mathematically means as a dad is it's going to actually be a lot harder mathematically for our daughters to find a guy who is of, historically speaking, women marry someone of the same academic attainment level. And that means... Uh, if our daughters pursue college, it'll become harder to identify someone just from, it just becomes a math problem. So those are just some of the, some of the things I think about. Now with eight kids, I know that as even with two kids, that each child is very different. I'm sure that with eight kids, you've got many different personalities, many different uh, perspectives. And as you father eight children, you have to build those unique relationships with each one of those kids in different ways. How do you do that? And how do you balance being able to build those unique relationships with each of your children, especially based on the age range that we're talking about? We spend a lot of time together, a lot of our social time as a family. And the kids enjoy being around each other. These kids, we, we fight, the kids fight, right? The kids argue and that, that's all normal. But I will say, our 18-year-old, our 17-year-old, our 15-year-old are strange in that they don't complain when when it's family time and we're doing something social and fun. That said, it's it, it, you're absolutely right. It's critical to find that time where you can spend time together individually with with the child. So I I do a number of things. I, I travel for work not infrequently, and so I try to bring one of my kids with me on a work trip periodically so that they're just with dad. If I'm going out to, I have to go to Montana periodically, and that's a fun place to go and drive around and see the natural wonder of, of that part of the country. And I'll do that. I've, I've had to go to, for trips to Denver. I'll take one child. And one of the things that we'll do is try to do different types of rites of passage kind of experiences with our, with the kid, with our children when they hit a certain age, particularly like right before puberty, you know, they go on a trip with me. It's the son goes with me. The daughter goes with mom. And we do a, a trip away and, and we do the, a bit of the birds and the bees uh, conversations and, and, you know, how life is going to be changing and, and really try to lay the groundwork there. Then when they graduate high school, we've done this once now. We'll be doing it again this summer. We've taken our, our oldest. We've just selected that point to be kind of a, a tr- just a trip, just with an experience that we just do with, with the high school graduate and celebrate that moment, let them know how important that moment was and, and their achievement. And, and, and obviously in our, as a family of eight, really appreciate that time when it's just me and them 
or me and my wife and my child. And so those are some of the ways. And then you, you know, every child, you're absolutely right. Every child's different, right? They need different things. Okay. I've grown to notice that my sons and and in studying this area, they want to know if they're competent. They want to know if I think that they're competent, they're they're, they're effective, they can do, they can do things. And so frequently, that's part of how I reinforce my sons and my daughters so frequently want to know if, and they range again from age four to age 15. They want to know if are they actually beautiful? Are they and reinforcing, I think. They're certainly reinforcing your self-image and uh, letting them know that dad knows that they're, they're a beautiful young lady, beautiful inside and out. And that's important in a way. They react differently, my sons and daughters and these things. And I've seen that as really important for my daughters. We talked about fears and raising kids can be smooth sailing. It can also be challenging at times. What's been the hardest part for you in being a father to a daughter? Yeah, the hardest part of being a father to a daughter. My kids, my kids have struggled with dyslexia, uh, sons and daughters, and realizing that the traditional school model for us wasn't wasn't working for my daughters. It wasn't working for my sons. And I ended up having a series of conversations with a businessman that that I just thought very highly of, and he helped me open my eyes in terms of thinking differently about education and particularly educating my daughters, right? And ended up, it led us to decide to alter what we were doing. We ended up moving into a homeschool model where we were able to allocate capital for the kind of tutoring that they needed and the kind of pace in the areas that they needed. And uh, that's been a really that's been a really a good thing. I think mom is really good at handling things like ways to ways to dress and what have you. And, and so I don't have to do much of that. My wife is is all over this stuff. And the, and the girls, that's been a good thing for us. And the, the girls, I think, have uh, with some reluctance taken to mom's uh, guidance on such things. And mom dresses well. And so they, they see that you can dress beautifully elegantly, and you can also dress modestly in those ways. I mentioned that you were the president and CEO of Communio, and you sort of started to talk a little bit about what Communio is and what it focuses on. Tell me more about Communio, and then we'll talk about some of the research. I want to hear more about the organization first. Sure. So we function like a, as a business-to-business, a B2B, so to speak, as a business model. So our customers always and everywhere, the local church. Okay, We equip the local church to evangelize through the renewal of healthy relationships, marriage, and the family. And a major part of, obviously, that is fatherhood. And so we do that through... Uh, coaching churches, training churches, evidence-based strategies on relationship health. We do help produce a transformation in the mindset of pastors in the church that investing in the strength of your marriage or your relationships is something everybody does if you want to be healthy, happy, and holy. And then that's what that's what one ought to do. And a big thing is part of that message is for men, right? Heavily uh, on dads. If I love my children, one of the best ways for me to love my children is whenever it's possible is love the mother of my children more than my own children. Because when I do that, it spills over and has lifetime benefits on our children. I mentioned the fact that your organization had been doing some research into loneliness. So talk to me about that and why your organization chose to start doing research on this topic. I've been started like many 
folks who've, who've looked into the space, um, we've got shortening lifespans. We are, as a country, when I was a kid and, and, and you were a kid, people talk, futurists saying, you know, maybe we're going to live to 100 or maybe 110 in the future. It'll just be normal. No one ever thought 40 or 50 years ago that people would be short, living less, shorter and shorter lives. And that's, that's where we are, particularly men as of recently, but it's also women. And we're heavily divergent from similar countries. So if you look at other countries of high wealth, we are having a sharp decline in our lifespan. So that has a heavy relationship to the loneliness problem. In 2008 was the first year in the United States that the Surgeon General said that we had an epidemic of loneliness and, and it's only increased. And so we work with our client churches to a small number of factors. And one of those is loneliness. And there's something called the UCLA Summary Loneliness Index. It's a three-question tool that when you use it, depending on how you answer it, if you score six or higher on it, you fit the public health definition of loneliness, which means your lifespan, it's basically the difference of dying in your mid-70s to dying in your late 50s or, or you know, right at 60. Okay. And that's how significant it is. And, and so we wanted to make folks aware of what's going on with it. And well, one of the things that stuck out, sadly, is some of the findings were it's not who you think is lonely, right? You would think it would make sense that it's the elderly and it's the widowed are the most likely to be lonely. And the reality is the loneliest folks in the survey were the never married in their 30s and also the divorced in their 30s. Those were the two loneliest groups. And they were lonelier than widows. And they were the loneliest group of widows were widows in their 50s, which makes sense. Widowers and widows in their 50s, which makes sense. It's, it's premature to have lost a spouse typically at that, that age, or maybe you're a recent empty nester. And so there's major life change. But even still, someone who's 34 years old, who's never married or 33, who's divorced, they're actually lonelier by a significant margin than those folks. And Making sure, you know, when, when we talk to our client churches, like this is something you need to be aware of, right? Like this is as a pastor, if you're, we talk about uh, the importance of forming heterogeneous community between singles and married, divorced and widowed, young and old, that should be a normal part of life in thinking through how do you form those kinds of interlocking communities that folks can have meaningful relationship and, and have the kind of purpose that flows from meaningful relationship that undoes all of the, the horrible health effects of loneliness. So a part of the organization that this podcast is all about is called Fathering Together. And we talk about the importance of building community. And this show is all about raising our kids. And a lot of things that you just said, I think, are things that we need to reinforce with our kids in many different ways. Has your organization delved deeper into not only some of the causes and the groups that are being affected to raise the consciousness of society around us to be able to start making changes internally, but are there things that your organization may have identified that as parents that we should be aware of to be able to reinforce with our own kids as they're getting older to help them to not lead that lonely life as they get older? Yeah, you know, first, it's critically important and this is going to sound to some listeners paradoxical. One of the most important things is not to build a child-centered home, but a parent-centered home. And I mean that in the sense of whether there's a marriage in the home where you're parenting with a spouse, the most important relationship is the spouse. And when that happens, a child can actually feel safe and trust 
that our ability to form social trust, one of the big things that social scientists have uncovered is that our levels of social trust in America are in rapid decline. We first learned to trust others based on those most primal relationships with our parents. And then when we see it modeled father to child, but then when the child sees dad relating frequently to the spouse. And so it's key is to model a life where you know, it's easy, right? I've eight eight kids, but you can do this with two kids. You can revolve your entire life around youth sports. You can revolve it around youth activities, academic competitiveness, anything that you want, whatever you want to fashion into the idol, I, I think. And the reality is that raises, when it's a child centered home, you raise people who will become self centered later. Okay. Because they see themselves, hey, the, the people most important in my life communicated that I was the most important person in my life. And then now I'm going out into the world and I'm the most important person in my life. And the paradox of happiness is living for the other. We're wired deeply to live in some in a sacrificial way to, to go out of our way for the other. That's what love is. And so I think a key in raising our daughters is that they see that we love their mothers and that we model the kinds of of healthy friendships that should be in our life. And then obviously that doesn't mean that you don't do your sports and it doesn't mean that you don't want your child to be competitive and great at what they're doing. No, but rightly ordered is the key here, that these things are held uh, in tension. There's moderation and such things. So sometimes there is the hard decision that needs to be made that as a husband, right? I need, it's maybe not the best thing for my marriage that I don't see my wife for 13 weekends in a row because we're doing travel sports every weekend. Not say that that being in a hyperbolic example, right? And then if you're you're a single dad, because you're an unmarried dad, then I think that that's important to model a life of moderation, right? So that a child can see and a life of moderation where the child is encouraged and supported that that relationship between father and daughter, if I can't trust that my dad's there for me, it spills over into lots of other areas of my life later as I grow up. And I can't then trust that a future person who pursues me as a man pursuing your daughter in the future, it's harder for that daughter to trust in the relationship. It's harder for her to trust certain friendships or business relationships because so much of who we are is formed in our family of origin. Appreciate that. Now, as you think about relationships with other men in regard to the importance of having bonds to others as well, what has your study found about that and the importance of having those connections to people outside of your family that can help you to stave off loneliness? Yeah, look, I'm a huge fan. I'm a big believer in mentorship and community amongst men. So I have have a friend group of other dads that range in age that are ranged about a a dozen years older than me and about a dozen years younger than me. And we're actually on a a text thread together and we'll text each other. We'll get together periodically, socially mostly, but sometimes we do uh, what you would consider Christian small group activity, but it's certainly a mix. And I have benefited so much from just being pals with dads who have some kids who are 10 years further ahead of the journey on me and being able to talk to them, nothing structured and formal, just, you know, being able to go over for a barbecue and a beer and and talk and, and um, talk about 
challenges of fatherhood and and thinking of being thoughtful about forming our children. It's just incredibly important and incredibly important within the realm of loneliness, right? So many, so many men, right? We are wired. Richard Reeves wrote a book on boys and men. He's actually a progressive scholar, but spends a lot of time writing about men. And it's his argument that, that I'm kind of persuaded on that in a lot of ways, masculinity in its social manifestation is a bit more fragile than femininity. And his argument is that you know we're wired for purpose. Humans are wired for purpose, right? And we derive our sense of purpose most frequently from being a husband and then being a father, okay? And when we walk through life and we gut those two things out of our life, what you're seeing is ex- what the research has identified is this epidemic of loneliness because and you've got an explosive growth in opioids and substance abuse, men dying of liver cirrhosis. All of this is what happens. It's the social manifestation or the psychological manifestation of a social phenomenon where you're no longer, that sense of purpose is now void and it needs to be filled with something. And, and frequently it's, it's found in forms of escape. And our role as a dad should be for anybody listening, this should be a place where I derive a deep, deep sense of purpose in my life. Ideally, best outcomes are when you're a married dad. But then if you're not a married dad, then it's how do I find ways to function in a healthy way as frequently as I can as a single dad? And understand this is deeply who you are. And you've created another person, a daughter who shares your DNA, half of your DNA, and her self-image, her mental health, her future decisions on who she couples up with, who her spouse is, her future feelings of loneliness or isolation or the lack thereof. It's going to be wrapped up in her relationship, whether you like it or not, with her. And so that should actually, I don't share that to scare any of the listeners. I share that to encourage and just, you've got a big job. Uh, we've got big jobs as dads. We're not replaceable. Nobody else can serve that role as a dad. And so the Latin phrase, esto vir, be a man. We have to step up and be a man. Appreciate you sharing that. Now, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five more questions that delve deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. In one word, what is fatherhood? Fun. I don't know. I feel like it's a lot of fun. It was a time that you finally felt like you succeeded at being a father to a daughter. I read a book to my teenagers. I read, we do a lot of read aloud books and we've done stuff like Tolkien and The Hobbit. I picked a book called How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. And I told my kids and I told my daughter, I told read to my two teenage boys and my teenage daughter. I told them, look, it's too late for your mother, but it's not too late for you. And my daughter at the end of it, Okay, this is about as high praise as you can get from a 14 year old. She said, dad, this is the first book you read to me that was interesting. And so I felt like knowing my daughter, that's like spiking the football. She's like, this is the greatest thing ever is what what that was. So I felt like that was a major win. I love that. I haven't read that book, but I think I might have to check it out. It's a great book written by my friend, John Manette. He's a, a great scholar and a student of human relationships. Appreciate you sharing that. Now, if I were to talk to your kids, how would they describe you as a dad? I think I, they would say I'm the fun one. But I also know, you know, they'd say fun and that dad likes to teach us. And so, because when we're eating dinner at the table, I'm usually, we're doing pop quizzes and whether it's on matters of, of deep importance or or matters of college football, it just depends. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? All eight of my kids. I feel an awesome responsibility that I know that no one will have a greater impact on their likelihood of living a healthy 
and happy life later than really me and certainly their mother. But there's a lot of data that says, particularly for our daughters, that there's this outsized major impact that dads play. And so I just can't help but when I see my kids in the morning, especially my little four-year-old, I can't help Lucy. My youngest is a daughter and she runs the house as my older kids all know. I can't help but want to be better. I'm driven by that sort of sense of purpose that I want to be as, as good of a dad as I can be. Now you've given a lot of piece of advice today. As we finish up today, what's one piece of advice you'd want to give to every dad? Live life with your children. And I mean that song, The Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. A little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you come at home, son, I don't know when. I think so many times it's so critical for us to just abide and be around our children and enjoy when they're little to be with them and in the things that they love to do. Even though it may not be the most fun thing for us when our little ones are little and push yourself to find the joy in playing and condescending to your daughters when they're really little. Because as you do that and continue to do that, as they get older, they will want to spend time with you and you will want to spend time with them. The thing that I've gotten the most joy out of is actually these teenage years, now having a, a college freshman, is that all of my teenagers actually enjoy spending time with me. And they like spending time with their friends, but when it's time to go do something, they actually look forward to it. And they're okay with an occasional Friday night or a Saturday night, sitting down and watching some games with with dad or, or spending some time with dad. And that's all built on years of living life with them from a young age. Well, JP, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your journey, for sharing this study. If people want to find out more about you, about your organization, where should they go? Go to communio.org, particularly to get the study, which goes into this loneliness data, it goes into a lot of interesting stuff, particularly it goes into a lot of research on fathers' impact on faith practice, which for dads who are interested in understanding that, it's communio.org backslash study. It's the relationship with our earthly father that so has an impact on whether or not you believe that there's a heavenly father out there who loves you. Well, JP, I just want to, again, say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing and being able to help fathers to be able to see the importance of finding that community around them. And I wish you all the best. Hey, thank you so much, Christopher. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of fathering together. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game 
Those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be